the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back, June 29, 2021. When we brought Sebastian Gorka along with Andy Biggs and Mike Gallagher out here a few weeks ago, Seb said something I've not gotten out of my head, especially given a few developments since. He was speaking of how small a group of committed patriots are revolutionary war constituted in military service. Less than 50,000 at any given time. Sometimes you will see the Roman numeral three to represent this, giving air to the popular notion that no more than 3% of the population in the colonies at the time supported the military effort against the crown. For perspective, closer to 10% of Americans fought in World War II. Do you know that, Bill? Dave? John? Do you know that? Almost 10%. For further context, less than one-half of 1% of Americans don the uniform of the United States today. You've never seen anything like a majority of our population willing to wear our nation's uniform, and part of this is quite to be expected and constitutes some of what makes the honor of serving our nation and the debt we owe those honored and honorable unique and special. As John Stuart Mill put it, war is an ugly thing, but not the ugliest of things. The decayed and degraded state of moral and patriotic feeling, which thinks nothing is worth a war, is much worse. When a people are used as mere human instruments for firing cannon or thrusting bayonets in the service and for the selfish purpose of masters, such war degrades a people. A war to protect other human beings against tyrannical injustice, a war to give victory to their own ideas of right and good and which is their own war carried on for honest purpose by free choice is often the means of their regeneration. A man who has nothing which he is willing to fight for, nothing which he cares more about than he does, his personal safety, is a miserable creature who has no chance of being free unless made Excuse me. He has no chance of being free unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. As long as justice and injustice have not terminated their ever-renewing fight for ascendancy in the affairs of mankind, human beings must be willing when needed to do battle for the one against the other. There's a lot there. But I always seize myself on the line We are kept free by exertions of better men than ourselves. Better men than myself get to be our part of that three, ten, or one-half of one percent. And I was thinking about all that, and what do I refer to as our downgraded, decayed state of patriotism here, efforted as it has been for at least the better part of two generations via junk thought, crap curricula, and revolutionary zeal. That is the troika most affecting our culture and country right now. Junk thought, crap curricula, and revolutionary zeal. In everything from 
1619 to critical race theory, from BLM to multiculturalism, the re-racialization of our society, and revised, I should say, revisionist and rewritten history of our country takes place daily before us. But it cannot happen where the culture opposes it. And I worry about whether it does or it does enough. We've gone through several years of using the national anthem as a protest point for race problems in America, but only first after the race problems were rubbed raw, exploited, and weaponized, sometimes via hoax, sometimes via hyperbole. There had to be a terrain, though, a grounding, an earth for anti-patriotism and anti-Americanism to grow and thrive, if not to simply photosynthesize and exist. I was thinking about that in the context of a few other things before us. Note the playoff games. What happened to all the NBA and BLM signage and paraphernalia? Is the problem over? Or was the problem created in the first place just because a Republican was president? I mean, I could be wrong, but it seems odd that the one thing the Biden administration has solved in six months is the problem of black lives not mattering for over 220 years, as we've been told. Of a sudden, it seems to be all fixed, doesn't it? But notice, if I'm right, the blasé attitude over such as Gwen Berry turning her back on the American flag as she represents, literally represents, the country that flag represents. We are a different country today. Today only conservatives speak of this incident, and the Biden administration, which leads the U.S. government, stood behind and defended Gwen Berry. We are a different country today. In 1968, when Tommy Smith and John Carlos raised black power fists in protest at the U.S. Olympics representing the United States of America, they were suspended. More. The culture was on the side of America then. Time magazine editorialized, quote, Faster, higher, stronger is the motto of the Olympic Games. Angrier, nastier, uglier better describes the scene in Mexico last week. Brent Musburger, a writer for the Chicago American, before rising to prominence as a CBS Sports and ESPN reporter, described Smith and Carlos in 1968 as, quote, a couple of stormtroopers who were ignoble, juvenile, and unimaginative, according to Wikipedia. We're a different country today. Megan Rapino, also representing the United States, can blast the country and flag and then get rewarded with a White House visit and major corporate endorsements and advertising gigs. Colin Kaepernick, who started all this, makes millions from Nike, which makes its millions off slave labor, and nobody cares. Instead, headlines like this from the New York Times are simply irrelevant to making Nike and Coca-Cola dream palace heroes of the woke and progressive left in America. Here's a New York Times headline I bet not too many know about. Quote, Nike and Coca-Cola lobby against Xinjiang forced labor bill. Close quote. First sentence, quote, Nike and Coca-Cola are among the major companies and business groups lobbying Congress to weaken a bill that would stop imported goods made with labor in China's Xinjiang region, 
according to congressional staff members, as well as lobbying records that show vast spending on the legislation, close quote. Vast spending is code for many multiple millions of dollars. Of course, the woke and progressive left will lecture us on Islamophobia and slavery in America unceasingly. Plank of wood meets speck of sawdust. And somehow, Coke and Nike have moral high grounds to lecture us on election reform? I see what kinds of methods they have no problem with. Tyrannies were the first thing they would find is that there is no words for free and fair elections. Maybe sit out your critiques of America right now, then, Nike, Coca-Cola, others. Fraus omnia corrumpit. The fraud corrupts everything it touches. I was thinking of all this in the context of, A, what the half of 1% today believe when they see all this, and B, how we are going to increase that half of 1%. Right now, we're doing everything we can to stall addressing that second question, building our military. As for the half of 1% and what they must think, especially as their leading general tells them they work in an industry problemed not by Islamic or Marxist anti-Americanism, but by white rage, so problemed that it is better understood through the eyes and teachings of Mao Zedong, Lenin, and Marx, at least in the upper echelons of the military, they make no pretense of how they believe it is best to help understand America from the teachings of Mao, Vlad, and Karl. I suppose if you're supposed to break things and kill people, no American or Western hero or institution has anything on Mao Zedong, Vladimir Lenin, and Karl Marx. They've broken an awful lot and killed even more. Just for the wrong reasons. And so we've nearly fully completed the circle of taking our national and patriotic instruction in part, sometimes in large part, from America's and indeed humanity's worst abusers of civilization. Never mind enemies of America. And we wonder how this happens. We truly do make men without chests now. I told you about one such case that received federal court countenance in the instance of a 17-year-old Virginian transgender boy yesterday. It's a slightly different issue, but not unconnected when you think a little beyond the shallow with regard to why human beings even deserve or have fundamental or what used to be called natural rights in the first place because there is that very difficult word that ineluctably keeps crashing into us as if without seatbelts brakes or airbags the n-word nature we erect a country on the basis of natural law and natural right and ever since there have been elements here trying to deny that very thing that very touchstone of our founding and granting of rights and privileges. It's what defines our relationship to God and animal, and it's what defines our relationship with our government and with each other. It's what made slavery inimical and segregation and conflict with our creed and founding. You pick that apart. You pick everything apart. It is the thread that unites the rest of the warp and woof that is America. Which is why, as you know, I find it so frustratingly ironic that the left today is using the ideology and talking points about our founding and slavery and racism that could be directly lifted from the speeches of and court decisions in favor of the United States Confederacy's leaders during the Civil War and in the 
years leading up to it. I suppose when we say the GOP and Republican Party and conservative movement has never really changed from its essence to combat the extension of slavery and to fight other relics of barbarism, it's anatomically connected to the inseparably from the inverse point that the progressive left, born of secession and opposition to natural rights and supportive of slavery, the KKK lynching, segregation, Jim Crow, they have never really changed either. Indeed, what more do you expect from a denial of natural right than an affirmation of the importance of race, or at a minimum finding race more important than humanity? But so we beat on the tide against the culture at first and now part and parcel of it, such that the distinction between the direction or tide of the culture is no longer evident, having become but one and the same ocean we swim in and may sometimes feel like we're drowning in. Gwen Berry told CBS, quote, I don't rally patriotism over basic morality. The commercials and statements and phony sentiments regarding black lives were just a hoax, close quote. Nobody asks to rally patriotism over morality. What we expect is an understanding of morality because it makes patriotism here so much the easier when we unite the two. The funny thing for the first two decades of the progressive effort here, morality, the concept of morality was dismissed as quaint if not always subjective. Today, it's been accepted as a concept to be distorted, to only work in one direction, self-importance, ego, and anti-Americanism. Those are the moral imports and values of today's progressives. Maybe Gwen should stand for China. That way she can operate without the base alloy of hating a country for its systemic racism. And when her contract with Puma runs out, I'm guessing Nike will come a calling. It will not be a long distance phone call, I don't think. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602508. Zero nine six zero one one more thing on this um, Gwen Barry uh, I I, I want to call it controversy or contrata but it isn't it's just one side that's upset um, as opposed to say what it looked like in 1968 when the whole country was upset but she said Gwen did Gwen Barry said I don't really want to talk about the national anthem. Because that's not important. The anthem doesn't speak for me. It never has. My purpose and my mission is bigger than sports. I'm here to represent those who died due to systemic racism. That's the important part. That's why I'm going. That's why I'm here today. Okay, well, I appreciate at least the honesty. She's not there to represent the United States. She's not there to compete and be her, in the parlance of our time, best self. She is not there to obtain the best medal or record possible. 
She's telling us that she is there because she wants to, quote, represent those who died due to systemic racism. Now, I don't know how much resonance in America her work throwing the hammer against other countries will have in instructing us that we better not kill anyone else due to systemic racism. I certainly don't want anyone killed over systemic racism, and I don't want systemic racism. I want her to tell me how a systemic country has her rep- a systemically racist country has her representing the United States with the president of the United States backing her up with no, none, zero repercussion as took place, for example, in 1968 in the Mexico Olympics. She should be gone. There is a purpose for the Olympics and there is a purpose for competing in the Olympics. Um, It is not to protest your home country. It simply is not to protest your home country. And as I was quoting, I think, Jesse Kelly. Yes, it was Jesse Kelly I was quoting yesterday. I think he had the best line on all of this. The best line. Americans will never be more than 25 feet away from endless supplies of clean drinking water and still complain about their own country. Meanwhile, Olympic athletes from third world dumps will wave their flags proudly. Okay. I I, I just wanted to underscore that she is on record as herself saying The competition is not the reason she's there. The competition is not the reason she's there. And I think on those grounds alone, she should be suspended. But what's this business? What is this business about the anthem doesn't speak for me? It never has. Has she ever read the lyrics to it? What in it doesn't speak to her? The question about being able to see at dawn's light or the twilight the night before or that the stars and stripes made it through a war against an enemy. Um, What what part of it that we are a land of the free and the home of the brave is the part, obviously. She does not think we're free as she lives the elite life of the dreams of every athlete in elementary, middle, and high school. So when she says the Black Lives Matter movement was a hoax, that's pregnant with implication. I don't know exactly what she means by it. I was surprised there were no follow-up questions, but why would there be? Because anything said about the Black Lives Movement, if you're a progressive, does not require to explain yourself. Okay, good enough. We got that out of my system. 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 minutes past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with John Dabrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates, founder and president. It's website, grandcanyonplanning.com. John is not only one of the kindest men in town, he is one of the smartest when it comes to 
all things financial and financial planning. J.D., happy Tuesday. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Thank you, Seth. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You have any This Day in History trivia for me? Today? You know, today I was so busy I didn't get a chance to... <laughs> I got well, one I'm for sorry, you. you. I figured you would. I go, do. Go ahead. On this day in yes. 1236, Ferdinand oh III of Castile and Leon took Cordoba in Spain. That's right. And I and, and and you reminded me last year when we talked about it, don't let this June 29th go without making mention of that. All right. So I just well, had to do it. it. I knew Thank you'd you forgotten. So much. I knew you'd forgotten. <laughs> I knew. Hey, John, there's a story yes. today I wanted to ask you about uh, over at CNBC. I didn't know this, but a lot of people are thinking about voluntarily leaving their jobs. Yeah. They're calling it uh, the great resignation in your industry. Right. You know, I was going to do some research. I just hadn't had time today. But, you know, when you think about, you know, names of things, I guess you can go back to the, the Depression. Was it the Great Depression? Then there was the Great Recession. Right. Now we're talking about the Great Resignation. Um, and it's some interesting statistics here. Seth, and I, I, I don't know how true it is, but... It says in what's been dubbed the Great Resignation, a whopping, it says 95% of workers are now considering changing jobs, and 92% are even willing to switch industries to find the right position, it says. So think about that, 95% of workers? I, I don't even know how they could possibly come up with a number that high. That, that to me, doesn't seem right, but that's what this study says. Uh, yeah, well, uh, well as I as I read these uh, as I read in between the lines a little bit on this story, you tell me. Yeah. Uh, as I read a little bit, a lot of them liked the idea of not having to do the kinds of things they did pre-COVID: travel, right. interstate right. travel, going to the office, and they got used to working from home. Right. Yeah. Well, and they 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 talked to a 34 year old mm-hmm. person in this article who says, you know, he worked worked for a company. He was on the road, uh, often meeting with uh, car dealerships. He was in the auto industry, and now that he's been home and working remotely, he thinks, well, gee, I don't really want to go back on the road right. again. Right. Um. And he's 34 years old, Seth. Yeah, I know. I mean, come on. I mean, it's like it's not as if this person's been doing this for 40 years. Uh, but I understand, and here's where I think it's really interesting, and two points I want to make that I think are really important. If you are one of these individuals who's thinking about this or thinking about making a change or thinking about, you know what, I'm done and I'm going to retire early, well, number one is that if you're considering retiring before you do it, make sure you get all your ducks in a row and you understand the complexity of deciding to retire, and especially if you're retiring early. As we know, inflation is here, Seth. Things are more expensive today than they were, and we may still see a little bit more inflation along the way, and you've got to be prepared for that, giving up your income and then starting to devise a plan to you know, withdraw from your investments for the rest of your life if you're young could be a challenge. So that's number one. Number two is, is that if you're thinking that uh, you're going to change careers, um, that could be something that's good. There's nothing wrong with a fresh look and a fresh start in something. But whatever that change is going to be, make sure that you're going to be committed to it because you're probably going to start somewhere at the bottom again, right? Yeah, that's From a good where point. You were. Yep. So be prepared for that as well, that you may not start at the level you were at when you're leaving this current position you're in. So 
uh, you have to do a lot of thinking. Meet with an advisor and understand your options financially before you actually make this decision. John, one of the things that's probably encouraging some of these thoughts is uh, amongst our workforce, a a couple of them, but one of the things has got to be the fact that um, uh, there are theoretically, at least, a lot of job openings left, something like over 9 million jobs unfulfilled. Yeah, Yeah, there's a lot out there, but a lot of these jobs, Seth, are not necessarily the higher pay. Yeah, no, yeah, you're not leaving something for an equal job, yeah. And that's why I said be prepared. If you're going to take on another, you know, position in another industry, you're going to probably start in the lower, you know, tier of that, Much that lower, industry you bet. to learn. Thank you, John. Thank you. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of Finran Sipic and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. You betcha. And I'm right here at six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I think we need to get rid of that song, Bill, from our bumper rotation. The duet uh, singers are no longer uh, a duet in life. And uh, that's, um, for whatever it's worth, it's just uh, a lacrimal decision about that song, okay? (laughs) Okay. Uh, You have John Lamenti working with you back there today? You all having a good time? The um, Our friends over at Issues and Insights are on the um, case, and we'll talk to the Hallmans about this this afternoon, among other things. There's a lot of a lot of research that's come out in the last two weeks since we did a did a, a session with the Hallmans. I think we we had to cancel last week's because I wasn't uh, here, but uh, we'll, we'll catch up with them. The latest one, the one that's making the rounds today in this ever necessary evidently ever necessary quest to keep us in fear and to exercise the uh, mental and physical muscles um, of the authoritarian personalities, too many of whom represent us, are speaking up, talking up the Delta variant of the coronavirus. As President Joe Biden said, quote, It's especially dangerous for young people. As Anthony Fauci said, the Delta variant is currently the greatest threat in the U.S. to our attempt to eliminate COVID-19. At least it's not someone unvaccinated or not wearing a mask, I suppose one might say. By the way, as our friends at Issues and Insights point out, when did the goalpost change? I'm fine with it. It just seems like it happened without comment that we went from flattening the curve to elimination of COVID entirely. Now, possibly we did that because we could with the vaccine and possibly Fauci changed from flattening the curve to elimination based on his wrongness. Do you remember how many times last year, three by my count in one day? He said we cannot have a vaccine this year. Just another of many multiple things Fauci was wrong about. But despite the claims, it's not clear that the Delta variant is as deadly as the earlier variant. Uh, Hospitalizations, in fact, declined in the United Kingdom as the Delta variant spread 
in that uh, as the Delta variant uh, spread in that country uh, increased. And that it may be more transmissible or transmittable doesn't mean it's necessarily more threatening. As Thomas Lifson puts it, the virus, like all life forms, wants to reproduce to survive. But if it kills off its hosts, it can't do so. That's why viruses mutate. They become less lethal and more transmissible in the mutation. In any case, the situation is nothing like it was last year. As Bloomberg reports, even the worst afflicted states, even in the worst afflicted states, the situation is nowhere near as alarming as what residents survived as recently as earlier this year. So why the attempt? Why the attempt to keep the fear factor dialed up so high. Our friends at Issues and Insights say the, their reason is the left wants to maintain its grip on the public and score additional political points against Republican. Um, there's not a lot of factual evidence to back it up. The New York Times, for example, cites Missouri as a case study in how supposedly Trump's skepticism of the vaccine has led to a substantial growth in cases – But while the increase might look big on a percentage basis, it's off a tiny base and will likely go back down soon enough. And The New York Times likely won't do a follow-up piece. Plus, what is being ignored is the fact that the four states with the highest COVID death rates are the bluest of the blue states, New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island. And states with significant recent drops in new cases include the red of the reds, Montana, Wyoming, Louisiana, West Virginia, Indiana, Idaho, Alaska. Um, It's not too hard to slice and dice it to make it a political point, given all the data out there. But purposely ignoring the forest while pointing to a few branches on the trees to keep people frightened and scared is immoral public policy. There's another point worth making. Those who contract COVID probably only have themselves to blame given the universality of the vaccines and the risks people are willing or not willing to take, about which I am very supportive of people willing to make those decisions for themselves. So if some people would rather risk than get a vaccine, um, it's really not, I don't think, at this level and at this stage with the number of vaccinations that have been given and the effective reaching probably of herd immunity, it's not really the business of the politicians anymore. I think it's between every individual and their physician and their best decisions they want to make for their families. What we have here is nothing more than the left trying to flog COVID for its own political gain, either to maintain control um, by needlessly scaring or to um, try and continue to attack Republicans for not being as exquisitely concerned about it as Democrats seem to be. Such an odd thing when a virus has become political, but such an odd thing when so much 
has become political and the remediation measures to boot. It was something we knew was regretful to be regretted from the beginning until Cher spoke and said the quiet word out loud, the quiet part out loud, that COVID was a hidden blessing, a blessing in disguise for the Democrats in 2020. I guess BLM, in a sense, was too, given what I said in my monologue and what you just aren't seeing at the playoffs. Bill, you won't watch the playoffs, I take it, because you boycott sports. Speaking of boycotts, I want to talk to Mike here in Maricopa. How much time do I have in this segment, Bill? About 80 seconds. We'll start with Mike, and we'll carry him over if needs be. Hello, Mike. I can make it in 80 seconds. Good afternoon, Seth. You know, we're talking about boycotting people or punishing them making the wrong decisions. Well, back in the 1980s, Toshiba, a big electronics manufacturer, sold some computer grinding machines to the Soviet Union, and they used those grinding machines to make their propellers on their submarines much more quieter. There was also Jane Fonda that went over to North Vietnam in uh, the Vietnam War, and uh, those two companies were punished by President Ronald Reagan, and their products were banned from military exchanges. They could not be sold on military bases. So back to when we used to punish people for the wrong decisions, now we want to pat them on the head and give them a dog bone. Over oh, I love it, Mike. Thank you, sir. What a nice contribution. Much appreciated. Six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. Be right back. I I almost wonder if that isn't maybe one of the most perfect country songs at all levels. The twang, the singing, the lyrics. It's a beautiful song. Anyway, um, just I haven't made fun of Bill in a while. And you can't just say to me on the break, did you see what Ducey said? Because there's a lot of Ducey's in the world. There's, of course, the governor. There's, of course, the reporter from Fox. There's his dad. I'm sure there are others. You can't just say that. You can't just say, huh? At least four. At least three. We're up to four. It's like saying, did you see what Kennedy said? Do you mean Senator Kennedy from Louisiana, who's quick with a jape? Kennedy, the commentator on Fox? President Kennedy, President Kennedy, we're getting we're going to get into this uh, debate over taxes very quickly. I was talking to a business owner today who's very concerned about what the Biden administration has. Um, I uh, I I plan uh, in our tax debate that we're about to have to uh, spend a lot of time quoting Democrats like John Kennedy, who said famously, it is a paradoxical truth that tax rates are too high and tax revenues are too low and the soundest way to raise the revenues in the long run is to cut the rates in the short run. Only full employment can balance the budget and tax reduction can pave the way to that employment. The purpose of cutting taxes now is not to incur a budget deficit but to achieve the more prosperous, expanding economy which can bring a budget surplus. That's right. 
That's right. That was John Kennedy. It was not a lot of the Republican Party. It was not. You did not see, in fact, a lot of tax talk. Not a lot from Barry Goldwater. Almost no interest in the Nixon and Ford Republican Party. This idea of tax cuts to encourage and spur the economy, it was a radical idea in the 60s and 70s. And amongst Republicans, there are only about five people, almost as many Republicans as there are deuces of import, that were talking about the, 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 the benefit of tax cuts. Ronald Reagan, Jack Kemp, Irving Kristol, Art Laffer, uh, Mundell, an economist named Mundell, an economist named Winiski, Robert Bartley at the Wall Street Journal, and that was about it. Thank God that small number got bigger. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. 602-508-0960. Your hour coming up.